Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Uh, crackers, napkins, Clorox disinfecting bleach. Check. Now, roses, uh, what if they wilt? Attention shoppers, Clorox disinfecting bleach is a great way to keep flowers fresh for longer. It'll even work for that uh, ink stain on your shirt. Ah, not again. Clean anything with the versatile Clorox disinfecting bleach. Discover more hacks at Clorox.com learn. Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator. Uh, okay, this is awkward, but this bike says he'd appreciate it if you removed his skull pattern saddlebags. <laughs> he feels self-conscious about them around all the other bikes, and he says you're not fooling anyone. You mostly ride with your golfing buddies. <laughs> Listen, I'm just the messenger here. Oh, no, I don't want to say that. I think you made yourself clear. Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Welcome to Performance Anxiety. I'm your host, Mark, and I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcaster Essentials Kit with their incredible Lira mic and a wonderful set of headphones. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, this is the best way to do it. We chat with Alan Hewitt this week. Alan's list of credits is too extensive to mention in a short podcast intro, but they include Earth, Wind & Fire, The Moody Blues, Warrant, the Grand Tour. He's written music that has appeared in critically acclaimed movies and TV series, played with Hall of Fame musicians, and released several solo albums. His new band is called One Nation and leans more on Alan's love of prog rock. His new album should be released by the end of summer 2021. Better be because it's titled 2021 and he has tour dates in place. Alan's very candid about his career. He started as a drummer but taught himself keyboards, which blows my mind. In addition to touring with the Moody Blues and writing original prog rock with One Nation, he's also an ambassador for Fetch Fido A Flight, which helps adult dogs find homes before it's too late. Check out alanhewittandonenation.com for release information, tour dates, and social media info. Follow us at Performance ANX. Follow us, review us, rate us, really helps us out. We like coffee, and we accept it at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. Merch like shirts, mugs, and shower curtains are available at performanceannex.threadless.com. And I can't think of a prog pun to get us into this episode, so let's just start it here on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. This is Alan Hewitt. I'm here with Mark doing Performance Anxiety. I'm the keyboardist for the Moody Blues and my band, Alan Hewitt and One Nation, has got a new record coming out uh, in the end of the summer. We'll be out touring as well. So everybody uh, join us today and we're going to talk about some things that we've been doing and uh, see what Mark can come up with. So is that good enough? Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Where are you? I'm in Winchester, Virginia. Oh, okay, cool. 
We're on the same coast. Oh, okay. Where are you at? Uh, Vero Beach in Florida. Oh, that's a nice area. Man, and I used yeah. to... I've Good had... name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was funny because it started off as... That, that was kind of the idea was to talk to everybody about how... You know how if they had any performance anxiety, if if they got, if they had to get over it, you know what yeah. what causes you anxiety as a performer, and yeah. I forgot to ask that most of the time. <laughs> so, so it just kind of became a, a real casual conversation about uh, right. each guest's careers and the really fun behind the scenes stories of recording and touring and people you work with. So. Yeah, that's cool. And I never, I, I don't want it to be a gotcha show where I'm asking all these, you know, questions that nobody wants to answer. Like, oh, hey, so, uh, you know, what, what substances are you on? You know, what, tell me about this breakup of this band. It's, it's, I don't want any of that. I just want, I want fun stories. Yeah, whatever. You, you just go for it. And, uh, <laughs> I, I, can, I can elaborate a lot. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Every show basically starts off with the same topics i guess so what i like to find out is how you got into music in the first place you're known for being a keyboardist but that's not exactly how you started off right you started off on a completely different instrument yeah actually i started off as a drummer and for quite a long time i mean in, into my 20s i still played drums and i went to berkeley school of music playing drums oh, okay. um yeah so um i played in this band i mean Obviously, there's stuff before this, but after I got a little, you know, better, I played with this band when I was probably 14, and we all uh, had, you know, hair down to our back, yeah. middle of back, and we had cat. We wore caftans. Oh, boy. and uh, we were kind of like uh, Emerson, like a Palmer type thing. Oh, wow. Um, the keyboard player had really. I mean, red, flaming red hair that came out to there, and wow. and we did a we did a lot of we did a lot of concerts because people kind of they thought we were pretty pretty strange. <laughs> so, but with the music we did was um, we took we did like Tchaikovsky and we took uh, Nutcracker Suite for instance, and we made it into our own thing. And oh. um, and my drum set was huge. It was I had eight tom toms. It was called an octopus. So I had eight toms, toms up there, two down on the floor, two, two double bass, two timpani, two gongs, vibes, um, wow. marimba. And, uh, basically what Carl Palmer, his kind of his setup. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so that was that was for a long time until I went to when I when I went to Berkeley. You have to take your drum kit. And haul it all over the place because you do these ensembles with different people oh. in the in the building. Wow! And it, you can imagine. So I cut it way down there. And plus, it's got to fit in a locker. Oh, jeez! <laughs> <laughs> so that was a that was a big big change in that. And then you know, I started I started started um, really get into composing, and I played vibes too. So I'd always played around on piano and, okay. and always, you know, wrote songs from 12 on and, and, uh, just got, you know, getting better and better at it. And I realized at that point, that's where I was going to be switching over at some point to, to keyboards. Oh, wow. So <laughs> did, with growing up, did you take lessons on both instruments, uh, keys and drums, or did you just take one natural, take to one naturally? 
I had some lessons from a guy in the music store, and I'm from a really small town. And, you know, he was good, and I learned some stuff from him, but impetuous as I am, I kind of, I pretty much, I learned school of hard knocks, you know? Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, yeah. listening to the, going back and listening to the discography as much as I could, because you have yeah. quite an enormous discography. <laughs> I am yeah. incredibly amazed that, you, that you're self, basically self-taught. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I think anybody could probably do it. It's just a matter of, you know, I was stubborn, and so I, you know, that's all I ever did. I mean, I mean, I played. I did play some sports along the way, you know, and up until my mid, well, like high school level. Oh yeah. And and uh, but but music was always the predominant thing. And luckily, I was in a a really nurturing town that really supported music, and we were doing. I mean all the bands there were really good. Duffy was my guitar player in um, One Nation, yeah. our guitar player. He's from up there too. Oh, really? And he was in another band. So we've known each other since we were kids. Oh, wow. And, and there was tons of uh, progressive rock bands up there, believe it or not, in this small place. And we would throw these, uh, we would throw these pot, little pot festivals where we'd set up a semi-truck trailer and everybody would co-op their equipment and and we'd play these concerts you know and uh there you know the people would donate to, and it was it was a really cool thing that's probably kind of what's happening that's little that's happening now yeah with, oh, that's with awesome. something so what was yeah. your sport of choice growing up um baseball was my was what i was best at but i love basketball but i i was just okay at basketball oh. and skiing Oh skiing wow! Yeah, but from Michigan, you gotta be you gotta be a skier, right? You gotta ski. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's... a lot of guys play hockey too. I, I wasn't that good at hockey. Oh man, yeah, baseball was mine just because I was too small. I, I played football for like one or two years, and I'm five foot six. You know, once you hit the high school and you stay five foot six, you don't get too many opportunities. No, and you get your butt kicked too. It's not that fun. No, it's not. A lot of those guys, the good thing is you probably got some knees left where your buddies don't. That's true. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. But you know, I didn't think of it that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what, what got you excited early on to play music and to pursue it? And when did you realize that that was something that you wanted to pursue professionally? I kind of knew at 12 really oh wow <laughs> uh, yeah my what would happen is my you know you you can't play uh bars until you're of age or i can't remember what the law was but my, my either my brother or my dad had to come and be my chaperone when i played bars with the older guys wow. and i i you know, i just took to it it was just like you know fish in the water so I, it's just was something that i always wanted to do i remember at uh Right around that age, I, I loved uh, the Mother's Invention. You ever heard of? Oh you yeah, know, Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa, and um, I remember writing a letter to uh, Rolling Stone saying, "If you come in the area, you can come and stay at my house." I've asked my parents, and they said you could come stay at my house. <laughs> you know, that was after after some of the things. That's awesome. <laughs> but I loved um, the album, which had Peaches and Regalia on it, and. Because the guy played vibes, you know, and um, uh, Ainsley Dunbar, I think, was the drummer. And and there was just some cool stuff on there with Flo and Eddie also f- that were the Turtles. Yes. Who I later actually did a cruise with or something. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So so that was really, um, 
I knew, and I and I just kept going, and and um, and actually at that time, um, you know, my parents were were pretty supportive because I was actually doing pretty good monetarily with with our band, and, and enough that we could buy, uh, we bought ourselves a van and a trailer, and new and all those drums and stuff like that. So so <laughs> we were actually able to make a thing at. I did get along the way. I think when I was getting ready to go to Berkeley. So what are you going to do after that? You know, yeah, I got, I did get that every once in a while. And I think I got it all the way up until uh, maybe when I started doing some big films. Oh, really? You know, that films and, 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 and they, they go, well, I guess it's working out yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mid, Midwest parents, it's just the way they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were great. They were good because we practiced on our porch, my, my parents' porch. Oh, wow. And boy, we would open the windows and let it rip. <laughs> and the whole town would hear it. That's, oh, that's, I love that. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, when did you decide that, uh, or how did, I guess maybe more, how did you decide? that Berkeley was the school that you wanted to go to. I mean, was that the only uh, one that you had your mind set on or were there other yeah, options? Yeah. It was either Berkeley or North Texas state because those were the two schools at the time doing, um, jazz. Oh, okay. And I didn't want to do just traditional jazz. I wanted to do fusion. So, um, that's where, you know, um, Chick Corea and Stanley Clark and, and all the, the return forever guys would mm-hmm. do sometimes go in there and do clinics and some of the people that I knew that were teachers there, I didn't know them personally, but I knew who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to, you know, get some schooling from them. Right. So, um, and they were great because uh, when I was at school, you know, even at the time, I think it wasn't that today's standard, it wasn't that expensive, but it was a bit, you know, for for a guy to go to music school, my, it was a little over, over my parents, you know, level to, to do. So, um, to help out, I would play gigs. So I, I got, a um, one of my friends was a keyboard player in, in uh, T-Bone Walker's band, you know, um, oh, he wrote Stormy Monday. Yeah. So I would go out and do, um, shows with them. Oh, wow. This is like in my second year of, of college. And they, they, uh, they, my teachers were so cool because they actually, that was the purpose of going to Berkeley. I mean, is to gig. I mean, you might, you either are a teacher or you're a performer. Okay. So at that time it was, that was the thing. It was, they kind of respected me for that. And they would um, give me my classes, you know, prior to, and I would do them. I would do them when I'm on the road and I get, I'd get in for lots of things, you know, for cl- for other classes and too, but, but it was really cool how they were, you know, I, you know, and so that, That's that worked awesome. out great. Man, that's yeah. awesome. You know, that's not often you hear programs that are that understanding of the the lifestyle of the people that they're going to be that they're teaching. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're excellent. Was singing something that was that you're always doing, or did that come later? Yeah, grudgingly, I think it did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always sang. I liked. I really enjoyed it until I got a record deal, <laughs> and um, and then they started dictating where things should go. Oh yeah. And really kind of at that point I was pretty naive and, and didn't like the criticism too much. And I was trying to do what they were doing, but I, they, I mean, they would go all the way from, I want you to sing like Michael Bolton. 
or can you sing like Todd Rundgren or can you sing like uh, this guy or that guy, whoever was hot at the time. Right. And, um, finally, I, I made a decision along the way that I was just going to concentrate on keyboards and, and writing. And that was like the best day of my life. <laughs> at that time right. because it just I had some peace of mind at that point um, and gradually as I you know got my self esteem back and stuff then I was fine I you know I, I what I eventually did is I just said you know what I'm going to do what I do I'm going to be who I am and I don't care what you think and that's that's where where I think I made a turning point because it started just writing what I wanted to write and stuff because in Los Angeles, I mean, it, and I'm sure Nashville is the same way, you know, you're writing for a specific person, say like Eddie money is doing a new record and Alan, uh, let's write a thing for Eddie money. So you, you'd have to d delve into that person and write that way, you know, right, yeah, which is great. I mean, it's, it's a really cool thing and a, and a neat opportunity, but sometimes you can lose yourself of who you are as an artist in that too. If you want to remain an artist that, you know, I didn't think about that yet. Cause you have to really study that person in order to write a song that they're going to want to sing yeah. record. Yeah. You, it's a really, it's kind of a ESP thing. I mean, it's almost like you got to get into their head yeah. and you know, what would this guy really like and what would be successful for him? That's why sometimes it's nice to write with a co-writer on those things because they can kind of go one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you don't yeah. want it to, to rehash what they've already done. You don't want it to sound like exactly, yeah. part, yeah. like the part two, you know, shaken part two. <laughs> yeah. So. What's, uh, some of the, so what's been nice is like along the way, like say with Donny Osmond, uh, we wrote, I, I started the song, wrote most of it. And then um, he came in and wrote the lyrics and then we made some changes that he thought would be cool. And they were, they were really good ideas. Oh. Um, Outside your house, peek through your window, I see through everything you hide. No surprise, there's no use wearing a disguise. So it's think that's where it really comes in handy uh, when uh, when the artist is also he knows what they're going doing and of course with Maurice White from Earth Wind and Fire we wrote all the time and um, we would write things a lot of times I'd start things out musically and then he would um, you know sing some lyrics out or give me an idea oh, why don't you go this way or that way and and we would have a ball doing it because it's it's an inner action between you know two guys and he was just yeah. so wonderful to work with so when did the production bug hit you was that at berkeley uh yeah pretty much that. i mean it kind of started there because that, there they had some nice composition things and they had some production classes and stuff like that and what happened is uh after that um i moved to i had a band with duffy that we were on the road for a couple of years okay. um non-stop and we were based out of Florida. Well, that kind of split up and I went to New York and we started a band there and ended up in Chicago. Okay. That's when the production kind of, I believe 
got a little bit because I, I had this great band to work with. And then we, you know, I would just every day write and then we would work these songs out. That's all we had to do. We didn't have to do anything. <laughs> and, um, and, and so, and what happened from that is my friend, Paul Klingberg, um, who's a great engineer uh, with Earth, Wind, and Fire. He's done Foreigner. He's done Emerson, all these different groups, Chicago, uh, Cheap Trick. Oh, man. <laughs> um, ministry, oh, a whole bunch of bands. Ministry, so, oh, um, that was the loudest concert I have ever been to. I'll bet. It was outside, <laughs> and I had to hold my ears. I'll bet. bet. They were nuts. Um, (laughs) We worked in a studio in um, Evanston, which is out uh, north Chicago. Mm -hmm. And we were basically Paul's band to practice his craft with. He he saw us in a club and he goes, man, you guys are good. He goes, do you want want to come in and record and and we can do some stuff together? Since we did that for two years or so. Oh, wow. And um, I learned a lot of old style recording because that was still when things were being done on tape so i learned you know all the things that are necessary to do that you know compression limiting cutting tape all that kind of stuff so that was that was a really great learning experience well then at that point what happened is we he moved out to la and then i moved out to la and then things started escalating from there isn't i mean i'm i'm really condensing yes. this yeah. <laughs> but what happened is i started writing for a lot of different people jane weedland um uh-huh. jonathan butler you know earth wind and fire all these different groups and as i'm d- doing that i'm i'm having to really turn in top-notch demos that are almost complete because everybody else is doing that so, okay. so as i got better and better equipment, better writing, um, all those things really helped. And then I always loved to produce. Pro- production is one of the best things to do because you can take something from the beginning to the end and see it finish. Yeah. You know. So what was your first production credit that wasn't something that you were working on for yourself? My first record that I put out was because um, the ones that I – got signed to A&M, never got done. Oh, um, okay. So I got dropped when I, you know, like right, pretty much not too, it wasn't that long after I got signed. So, oh. cause it, what happens is when you're at a label, a lot of times the, the head of the label leaves, gets a better thing. Yep. Well, once, if they're your guy, if I'm their guy, I'm done too. Yeah. That's, I've that's heard that just, a few times. That's just the inevitability and it happens all the time. Yeah. So since I was a developing artist that happened, but so, um, that's, kind of came to a situation where I said, you know, I'm going to just go ahead and do this. So I did, my first record was Native Heart. And it was, it was more of an instrumental record, but it had kind of concept thing to it. was actually a calling card and got me a lot of tv things and and started me out in the film and what then, was it about that um, album that real that everybody was really drawn to because that did from what i was looking at you've 
done so much work in TVs yeah. and movies. And if, if, yeah. what was it about that album that, that drew people into it? I think it had, a, at the time, I, well, I've always been in Peter Gabriel's uh, and Genesis, that kind of thing. Um, but Peter Gabriel, I really like the African stuff, um, the influence. Right. And that album, Native Heart, had a lot of that. And not just African, but I had Native American influences in there, too. Okay. Because uh, I'm from, I'm the area I grew up in is a, is basically a reservation. So, um, so that that's kind of, I think, what they're attracted to. Because a lot of movies, you you hear, you know, you'll hear, like, loops. Yeah. And things like that. Well, I was making those um, at the time. And they must have thought, well, I guess this stuff's pretty good. Let's yeah. give them this guy. Let's give this kid a try. <laughs> so, now, was Native Heart bef- uh, after you, you were working with Earth, Wind, and Fire? It was before. Oh, before. Actually, a couple, a couple of years before. Um, I think what after Native Heart, I did, Native Heart, I did... Um, I did some other kind of soundtracky albums and did also got signed to QVC Atlantic. So oh, I did wow. some stuff for them. Yeah, that was, I think that was symphony and rock. So that was uh, another path, <laughs> a totally different way. Wow. But every path kind of set up the next journey. So, so I always just would let it flow. <laughs> oh, so um, that makes me want to ask you a question real quick. Yeah. What, what part of the journey set you up for warrant? Because that was something that was totally unexpected when I started researching this. Well, that is more of a connection because um, I was managed by Concerts West. My good friend, Eddie Wenrick, who I'm still with, okay. um, is also they managed Beach Boys, Moody Blues, Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, Jimi Hendrix prior to that. Wow. And a bunch of, and Warrant, and a bunch of bands like, you know, that were kind of Warrant style, you yeah. know, too, but maybe weren't quite as known. And so what happened is that uh, they had done their first record, which was real successful. Yeah. They had Heaven on that. The second record was great. They had real, some nice stuff on it, but uh, the label didn't feel that they had a hit. Okay. So um, Eddie, our manager, called uh, me and said, uh, Janie's coming over to your house. You guys need to write a hit. The label oh. doesn't think they have it. Wow. So, so Janie came over and um, he had a, an, a concept for what he wanted to do. He had um, he had kind of, you know, the cherry pie figured out, you know, and, and the, most of the chorus. And we just kind of went through and wrote, got the verses going and got the bridge. Wow. Um, and, you know, do, 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 all that stuff. And, yeah. and uh And uh, I, t- I was saying this earlier today because I did an interview earlier. I did the um, uh, cherry pie. I, I really didn't, wasn't exactly sure what what he's talking because he didn't wasn't doing the verses. Oh, okay. 
and, and because uh, <laughs> he was singing, he was like the verse. He was kind of had an idea. It was like, uh, you know, did it on the top down, did it on down. He would do that, and so I'm going, okay. So I wasn't really, I wasn't really keen on the whole thing at, yeah. anyway. But um, we got going, and it started coming together. Um, it was getting to be like a you know semi aerosmith kind of thing you know and or guitar riffy right right um, so we got it done and it didn't take us very long we probably i don't as i always say half an hour but it probably was longer than that but it seemed like half an hour yeah. um, and, and uh, then we took it up to the studio that night where the guys were waiting with the producer bo hill and they started putting it down and the next day i think i got called in to do some other stuff like uh Uncle Tom's Cabin. I think I think I did some B three. Oh, I like that. that song a lot. Yeah, that was the one that really Janie would have liked to had. He thought that was should have been the single. Yeah, and yeah, it would be a little bit heavier than. I'm that. sure you've seen interviews where he didn't really appreciate me and Mister Terry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but uh, yeah, I have seen those interviews, and I mean, it's funny because I wasn't a big Warrant fan at the time, and I actually ended up liking that album more than the other stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's some good players on it. The the guys played um, well, but there's um, Mike Slamer did a lot of the guitars. Okay. And he is an unbelievable guitar player. And he's from England. He was in a band that was, um, oh, I'm just trying to think of what the City Lights, I think it was, but the producer of, of, you know, the guy that was married to Shania Twain? Oh, uh, Mutt Lang. Yeah, Mutt Lang was was in his band. Oh wow! So they had a great they had a great band, and um, so so Mike did a lot of the guitars, and and he you know he was like one of the guys that started that big fat sound. Yeah, and, and you know and then the the all the guys in in um in, in the boys in Warren they you know they also did their stuff too. Yeah. Um, but it was a well well produced record for yeah. sure. I was kind of blown away with it when I first heard it because it was it was much better than I than I had thought it was going to be because yeah, I had friends who were huge Warren fans I mean they'd love and they're like oh let's, here's the new the new album let's listen to it I'm like ah oh, I don't know yeah. and they put it on like <laughs> Uncle Tom's Cabin pops on I'm like oh I like this yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know they, they made me a believer We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Yeah, he was a talented. Jamie was very talented. He he was good. He just got caught up in his in the in the the thing. That period of time was nuts. Yeah, I um, heard. You know, the Motley Crew, the the war, all that all that stuff. I mean, they they were all trying to outdo each other, and you you try to do that. I was a little older than them, so I didn't I didn't get caught up in any of that stuff because they wanted me to go out and tour with them. Um, oh, I got okay. asked, and, and I said, "Hey, you know what? I don't think so." <laughs> <laughs> you've done so many i guess i should phrase it this way you have so many credits for tv and movies that's just got to be an insane complete different world from touring with moody blues or or writing native heart or that the voyages trilogy that that you put out and how do you get gigs like that and, and i guess more importantly do they tell you exactly what they're looking for or do they you get a lot of leeway as far as creating things like 
One of one of my favorite credits you have because it's one of my favorite shows is the Grand Tour. show i loved top gear way back when it was uh clarkson may and hammond and grand tour is just one of my favorite shows on tv so when when i found out you had done that the, the music for that i was like this is awesome i can't wait oh, to talk funny. to <laughs> yeah I, I used to see when we go to england and with the moody's i would sit i'd watch that show those guys it. are hilarious oh, i know um, yeah it's for for people that don't know it's a, it's a couple guys that take cars out and either smash them up or race them. Yeah. Or <laughs> they're, sometimes they're both. funny. It's very dry humor, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that show. So how it works kind of in different ways. There's, there's several ways that I, that my music gets on different things. Okay. Some things I'm called to actually compose right to the picture. So I have a way to play the picture as I write along to it. And then I, you know, on a, a digital audio workstation. Okay. Um, so that, that's the way like, and that, that would be like, for instance, swimming upstream with Jeffrey rush. <laughs> that's a, a movie that was kind of a, what do they call it? Critically, critically acclaimed. Yeah. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, so that was that kind of movie. Now in that particular situation, they wanted something like chariots of fire. Well, chariots of fire is such a recognizable song. Yeah. That was really a tough one. It was pigeonholed me and the, I was working with another composer. Okay. So that was a, that was difficult. And finally I came to something that was, you know, had the vibe, but, but didn't come within the seven notes that you you can only go seven notes consecutively and all that kind of thing. Okay. So, um, so that, that was, for instance, that's one way. Um, another way is that you write for music libraries, which supply the music for a lot of shows, such as Grand Tour. Okay. So um, I did several, probably eight albums for music libraries. Universal has most of them. Okay. So all the t- a lot of the TV shows, they just don't have time to call the composer up and go, Hey, can you write this music? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So what they do is the engine, the, um, cutters, the engineers go ahead and they, uh, they split the editors, splice everything up, get the, uh, music they want and they put it in. Um, so that's, that's one of the big ways that composers get their stuff in. And then the, the third way is, um, if you get a whole show or, um, or you just get parts of it, uh, whereas you have a song, and they go, hey, we'd like to use this song in in our um, in our show. That would be like uh, Bridget Jones. So Bridget Jones was an example of I had a piece of music that was done a couple of years ago. They heard it, liked it, and wanted it in in the movie. Oh wow! So so that's you know, there's just all kinds of different ways. The documentaries and things that I do, I I do from start to finish. I do you know, all the way through uh, 100%. And I, and I love doing those too. 
So there, yeah, there's so many different ways of doing it. And the thing is it's a gift that keeps on giving because they, the, those, that music keeps getting used and used and used and used. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that doing things like documentaries, you're getting the, the footage and you're just, instead of them making suggestions or hearing something, you're watching the entire film. I suppose, is, is that how that, that kind of stuff works? When you do it from beginning to end, you're basically composing it as you're watching it. Uh, what yeah what happens is you usually get things they're called a cue so say like it's a minute and 20 the the scenes say it's a race scene and mm -hmm. it's a one minute and 20 seconds long so i'll get that piece of uh, footage video footage put that up on my daw and start working with because there's all kinds of things you have to consider when you i should regress they do give you an idea of what they would like normally now there again, that's where you have to learn to get into their heads because they don't talk in musical terms. So they might talk in colors. They might talk in something they've heard before. Oh, we want, this is a Led Zeppelin. We want a Led Zeppelin, you know, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So that's when it gets a little dicey. So, um, so <laughs> you, what you do is you, um, and the other thing is every, every clip, if it's done well, editing, is a there's a tempo to it okay and it's up to you to feel that tempo out because if you if you're making your changes in the music too fast it's going to ruin what they're trying to do oh. so so that's that's another thing you have to consider so when you're doing the music you know you'll try different things out but eventually there'll be something that, ah so, okay. <laughs> so, now they might not think that, yeah. but I do. Yeah. <laughs> and I usually stick to it. You know, I'll stick to my guns. But the um, some composers will, or producers, directors will give you a temp score as well. And that temp score could be anything from another movie in the past that they liked and they, they edited to that. So that's that gets oh, yeah. a little bit more complicated because you're having to work with something that they've heard for the whole year. Right. So you're almost competing Again. against a uh, previously recorded soundtrack that wasn't even made yes. for them. That's exactly what you're doing. You're competing. Wow. And that does happen a lot too. Yeah. Oh, so those are the different kind of things. I'm sure that, and there's more than that, but those are the main ones. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. And then you've done some amazing stuff. Okay. So the grand tour is one of my favorites, the home improvement, NFL, Oprah Winfrey. I mean, these yeah. are some incredible credits. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I've been, uh, lucky guy. I mean, I just, <laughs> I put in, I put in the time and, and, um, you know, I've had some great opportunities and kind of, you know, if you do decent then you'll get recommended to other people. Right. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah. So hopefully like a podcast. Yeah, exactly. Like the podcast. Maybe do a good job. And All of a sudden you're on Showtime. <laughs> Who knows? Or Netflix. <laughs> I will have to get an actual editor for that. There you go. <laughs> so you're also the keyboardist. For and a the... secretary. Get an editor and oh, a secretary. That, oh, you know what? If I can, get, I can get an editor, a secretary, a booker, any, everything that I do... I mean, I could even get somebody else to host it. I just bring in the money. 
That'd be good. <laughs> so you also are the, the the keyboardist for the Moody Blues. How did you yeah. get connected with them? Well, that's also through um, my management, and there there was their management too. Um, I had met in the late '90s. Um, they were in town. I think they were working on a record. And I met Justin, who is, you know, the Knights in White Satin. Yeah. Um, and we just hung out. I had a sailboat, just a small one. And we would go out sailing. And, and he was a great guy. We just we just had a good time and um, just kind of buddy, being buds. And uh, um, I was doing, we had the riots, at the L.A. riots. And so right. I was working on some songs for this, um, it was called Rebuild L.A. Okay. And, and um so at the, I had uh, Sean Murphy from Little Feet. Oh, you yeah. remember that? Yeah. She's singing from Little Feet. And she'd been with Eric Clapton and, and Michael Bolton and a lot of other people as a background singer. Bob Seeger. She's, she's oh, that. Okay. And, and um, so she was over singing the lead on that song. And Justin was, was around. So we sang backgrounds. And so that was really the only music we did. So fast forward. 25 years um <laughs> i get a, uh, my manager gets a call from uh, their agent who's a good friend of mine uh wasn't but is now yeah. and he said is alan interested in going on tour they didn't tell us who it was so uh, i said yeah the you know we said if if the band's right yeah you know because the thing is if you leave la you know all those things that i was doing that you just mentioned yeah they'll be gone because uh, you're out and those calls go to somebody else. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> so, point. Yeah. So, um, it was, you know, a big decision. So a couple of weeks went by, had a meeting with, with their agent, Robert, and, uh, he gave his approval and I get the call and say, you got the gig. Well, they said it was the Moody Blues. I said, yes, that's, that's great yeah. because I know the guys and I, and I'm compatible. We're compatible. So, um, so it was fun. It was a great, great decision. Cause I had a ball and, it's, uh, you know, one of those things in your life that's a highlight. Uh, they're excellent people yeah. to be with, and I just loved every minute of it, really. They were, it was just a fun. We had some really, some times that I'll never forget. Oh, yeah. You know, there's, there's some couple bad ones in there, but most of them are oh, good. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's bound to happen. <laughs> but like, I saw the, uh, you know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. It was just amazing. Just want the truth. That was a blast. And, and we weren't really on first. We were on last. Oh, wow. So the guys had to wait. It was, um, oh, it was a long time because, well, Bon Jovi was on first and then the cars came on and then um, some other people came on and then uh, Ann Wilson sang. Uh, and then and then I think it was our turn. And it was, it was getting late yeah. for one of those shows. It was at least four four hours plus. oh wow yeah yeah so uh jeez so the guys but they they hung in there and um 
and we did we did it and it was it was a it was a blast when you're touring with a band like the moody blues or the moody blues not not like the moody blues i guess the moody blues yeah does the set list change much or do you i mean how many songs do you have to learn because i mean they've got a you know pretty good catalog there yeah how many i've learned learned most of them but um we would do 18 to 20 songs and they have there's about 14 of them that are hits or things that they have to do yeah i mean that that's why i would say you know i suggest hey why don't we do you know this song or that song well which one are we going to take out yeah because the fans want to hear you know certain certain things so you know usually there would be four new songs per tour okay um sometimes not sometimes sometimes there was (laughs) and we would have rehearsals because everybody lives in a different spot in the world so we converge for instance say if we're going to start a u.s tour we'd converge and maybe rehearse in nashville um, which we did when um gordy marshall had been the drummer for about 20 21 years we're we're totally great friends uh, and decided it was time for him to move on. And so I got Billy Ashbaugh, the uh, suggested Billy, and he got the gig. So he's in one nation also. Yeah. 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 So um, he got the gig and we um, rehearsed in Nashville and we, so we did like a week or so of rehearsal there and we learned, you know, new songs there. And of course he had to learn all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. So, th- so instances like that. Also when we did the final tour days of future past, the last one we did, that was a whole thing that we did was some, we did two times with the orchestra. So that's a whole different animal there. Um, yeah. and, and we did, uh, about four days rehearsal with that. I think in Palm Springs, we started the tour and uh, did the whole United States Wow! and, uh, and then did the Hollywood bowl with the orc, the LA symphony. Oh, that's and amazing. Then, and then we did it again in Toronto with the Toronto symphony. And that was recorded for PBS. So that went out as a DVD album. That's yeah. a, okay. That was that one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned One Nation. So how did that idea start? And what, because that's, you'd mentioned Duffy King on your on guitar and, and Billy Ashball on drums and you have David Johnson uh, on bass. So how did you, right. so you knew Duffy and Billy already. Did you know David or did you have to, did you find him? David, we got from our, our sound mixer for John Lodge. Oh, okay. uh, they both live over in Naples. Oh, and man. I said, you know, you know, any bass players in Florida that would be good for this? And he goes, I know the exact guy. <laughs> and so, so it was, uh, so he goes, David is your guy. So as soon as we played with him, we knew exactly uh, he was our guy. And uh, he was music director for the, ne- I mean, he was in the Neville brothers, all oh. versions, Aaron Neville's and all, all the other Neville brothers. Wow. Too. Yeah. So. Um, he'd been with them for 20 years. Oh, wow. So it was good because we all had, you know, when you get to a certain level, you, when you get to rehearsal, you want everybody to know the songs. It's, it's not like you're messing around with the songs there. You know the song when you get there. <laughs> right. This stuff, the One Nation stuff is just complicated. It, it's, it's pretty in-depth stuff. So Yeah, um, it's, it's so impressive it, stuff. It, yeah.
and and the idea was i just wanted to get back to progressive some really intense progressive rock music and fusion love fusion and progressive rock those are my two favorite things the moody's are the moody blues are considered progressive rock but they would be on the lighter side of the the progressive rock oh for scale. sure yeah yeah but they did bring a lot to it with the Mellotron and things that they were doing with the orchestra. Yeah. So they brought a whole, whole new thing to it. So it, it does, they do have to get credit for that too. Oh, for um, sure. But so that's, that's what it was. And I started, I had the first version of it, which Duffy was in, in 2015. Um, and I had some great guys, you know, Jamie Glazer from, from uh, Chick Corea's electric band. And also he played with Brian Adams in the Manhattans. And then, um, uh, Duffy King, you know, the guitar player in it now, played in it as well. And we had Giovanni Collier from Bruce Hornsby and Sonny Emery from Steely Dan. Wow. And, I mean, unbelievable band. That's but amazing. I was too busy with the Moody's to make it go any further. So a couple of years went by and we played since Billy, myself, and Duffy were in the John Lodge band. We would mess around with the songs at soundcheck. Oh, nice! And I go, wow, you know this this could be really nice. She's got to get a bass player. We'll be all set to go. <laughs> so, so, uh, so that's what we did. And we, the great thing about it is that all the guys are. It, it's a team, and um, we we work together. And it's kind of like when I was younger, and there was the money part of it wasn't involved record companies weren't involved just the music and going out and playing yeah so that's where that's where we're at you know we're we wanna we have finally got we've got some offers now to play so we're gonna we're doing um Prague stock in uh october 3rd it's a festival for progressive rock music with you ever heard of brand x oh yeah yeah, so Brand X will be there too, oh, nice. and um, so that's in uh, Rahway, New Jersey. So during that, and we're gonna we're booking a tour around those dates, uh, probably a couple weeks before that, and a couple weeks after. Oh, that's awesome! So we get to get out and play and have a great time, and uh, we're gonna play a lot of the rooms that, that we play with John Lodge, or when I went out with Justin on his tour. Um, there's smaller rooms that are more intimate, and that's what that's for this kind of music is. Well, you know, you it's it's good to do that for this especially first time out oh that is awesome man if you guys can ever yeah. get to the dc area i'll be there oh we'll be, yeah i think we'll probably do city winery oh nice I'll yeah, see if so, I get oh i definitely want to get there yeah I'll that'd bring be my, great i have to bring my camera i was a photographer for like 15 years oh good that'd be great we need that yeah hey i'm in i'm in i will i will do it for nothing you guys can just have some photos i'm a yeah, horrible because- businessman that, well, that's that's great because the the thing is, is that, you know we haven't been together from this whole COVID thing except for the we did one virtual concert that we all flew into uh, Fort Myers in Florida, and so we I just didn't want to I was too tired to do pictures, so we just, we just well, well that'd be great. But, all right, so so the first uh, One Nation album, it's almost completely instrumental. Was that uh, on purpose or yeah. it was written that way? <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. You know, the, um, the only reason that that um, Revelation had vocal on it was because I was also working with Alex Boye, mm-hmm. and and uh, he said, "Hey, let me write lyrics to this thing." And I said, "Cool." <laughs> and he did. He wrote, he, he wrote some really cool. He did it really interesting yeah. stuff. So. 
so we did that. Uh, I did two versions of it. If you notice, there's yes. one. One, yeah. So one is yeah. called number nine in there. Yeah, Reve so, Revelation nine, right? Yeah, Reve yeah. Revelation number nine, I yep. think it was. Yeah, and so that's the rest of the album is all instrumental. And originally, that was how I thought we should continue it. But all of a sudden, I'm starting to write these other songs that are more prog, uh, you know, more yesy. Um, you, uh, Todd Rundgren, Utopia, that type of stuff. Right. And, um, and so what happened is this new record has got mostly vocals and only a few instrumentals. Oh, okay. I was going to ask, I've heard two tracks. <laughs> so that, that, that's where I'm getting at where I pretty much do what I want to, you know, do. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not really into the label telling me what to do anymore. So, that's what we did. And I, that would be great because when we play, then there'll be, you know, a good balance of vocals and a good balance of instrumentals because the instrumentals are really, they're actually really nice. I mean, they, they, they speak for themselves they, without the vocal. I'll tell you, they're, I really loved it. It was, I, I like Prague anyway. So it was yeah. a blast going back and listening to the first album and the two tracks off the upcoming album. They're really good. Now, how did you uh, decide on the singles? Because they're a little on the long side. You know, one's almost six minutes and one's almost seven right. minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't forget, Nights nice in White Satin from the Moody Blues, yeah. six minutes long. That's a good point. So, if they don't want to play the stuff, they don't have to. That's, you know? <laughs> I love that. But, uh, I love but, you. Uh, actually, um, I still, we don't know if, I mean, those were the, our first two, what we did is we put those out to give people an idea where we're going. Okay. And now that we've gotten through three quarters of the album, you know, recorded it, there is songs that are, well, there's one that's kind of a, it's a, it's a, between John Lennon and, and Moody Blues. Oh, wow. And that, that will be an interesting, I think that will actually I, I really love that song. I mean, I, I, it's what, you know, these guys, these songs are like babies, you know, so the, yeah. but, um, and then there's another song called hard rain, which has a, a more of a rock influence and with, um, with some Southern rock stuff in the middle. So, so, oh, you know, wow. we, we, we're going wherever the journey takes us. Um, and then we have the, the instrumentals are, are going to be really cool to ones, Got a Joe Tr Satriani flavor. Oh, um, nice! And, and the other one will have, I think, like Chick Corea, "Return to Forever" kind of thing. Oh, yes. man! So, so there's going to be some nice little gems in there. Um, and then there's an there's, there's actually another one, but they'll definitely get their their money's worth because it's probably going to be about sixty five minutes worth of music. <laughs> That's fantastic! Get it on there. I love yeah. it. Oh man! I, so all right. So the I'm listening to the tracks over the past several days and one step closer i love that is i love that song it's got this great 70s prog sound to it yeah but it's also give it a, a lot of room to breathe
which yeah it reminds me of like later era rush with more keys because Great. rush that that's one of the things that i loved about them is they the technique was there but they it, everything served the song and yeah. that's what that's exactly what i feel with one step closer because it's it's got amazing prog technique but you're not just cramming notes into to impress people you're yeah you're letting the song breathe and develop and it's fantastic oh that's great i'm glad you like it because that's actually kind of what made me decide to go forward um okay um because i have was dabbling with that song you know and and then all of a sudden it started writing in itself and uh and i go wow would be neat to have a whole record of this stuff (laughs) (laughs) and then uh we're one nation and i came shortly after that um so yeah i think one step closer has a lot of my influences it has has todd rungan's utopia yeah. has uh elp uh, emerson palmer it has oh gee what other stuff does it have in there like you said a little bit of rush and that that's uh that's kind of as a template okay to, to know where to go so because I, I really wanted the vocals it, well, actually I, I love Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, their way that their harmonies are. So, I wanted to do also. We, we decided to kind of do that with the vocals, make most of the stuff harmonies. Yeah, and you know, once in a while, you know, there has to be the lead thing. But yeah, the, in this case, it really is important to me that this is a band, and it just makes it so much more fun to do when there's you know you're pulling for your for your buddies and, yeah. and, and they're pulling for you. And it just makes it, uh, I think it's just a much more soulful way to do things. It's just, uh, every, have you ever noticed when there's people love bands, they, they, they solo artists. Yeah. They like them. They think they're great, but what happens when they go, you know, they, yeah. who's the more successful? It's, I mean, you know, it's just the way it works. Oh yeah. That's true. <laughs> it, it, that's a really good point. I mean, People love the Rolling Stones. They like Mick Jagger's stuff. They like Keith Richards' stuff, but they love the Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. That's it's a it's a like night and day almost. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned uh, we're one nation. That the guitar solo kicks ass on that. I love that that tone. The guitar solo itself is great, but the tone on the guitar. Oh, he's great. I I'm really I'm gonna go check out the rest of his stuff because that blew me away. That was so good. Yeah, he's he's a unbelievable. You know, we started out as kids, like I told you, twelve. And when I was a drummer, he heard that I was back from Berkeley, so he brought me into his band in Detroit, uh, a band that he was in, and we worked in that band for a while. It was a, during the time it was uh, probably that was during the disco era, I think. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, we we did that for a little while until we couldn't stand anymore. Right. So, <laughs> but but through the years, you know, and and each of us has grown in our own way. And he's always played a lot of notes. Yeah. But now he plays the right notes. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm not gonna let him hear this interview. <laughs> I won't send it to him. <laughs> I also saw that you're actually a, a brand ambassador for Fetch Fido a flight. Yeah. Can you tell oh, me thanks a for bit asking about, about that? Yeah. Oh, of course. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, that is a uh, organization in Oklahoma. They rescue dogs that are going to be put to sleep 
within a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And it's all the kennels in that area, in that central Oklahoma area. And what they do is the shelters bring the dogs that are on death row, basically. Yeah. Bring them to to uh, the day that we're, the, the liftoff is taking off and they're all in their crates and they get boarded onto the plane, uh, which is like a cargo plane. Mm-hmm. And they are um, airlifted to, um, to the Northwest where they'll get homes within a couple of weeks because they love big dogs up there. Oh, wow. And most of these, most of them are, are bigger doggies. Yeah. And um, so what happened is one of our Moody Blues fans who was a great gal said, you know, is there any, we, we noticed you're involved in a lot of animal things. And is there anything that you can think of that maybe could help us raise money? Cause they have to, each flight costs a lot of money because oh, you, yeah. you're leasing a, leasing a plane and stuff in the pilot. And I thought about it and I go, you know what, I'll come out and we'll do, I'll actually fly that flight with the doggies. Wow. Cause it's just a few pilots and then there's a jump seat. So I, I was in the jump seat. Oh, now, I didn't know what I was getting into. <laughs> I just did it. So, uh, so we, we got, uh, they said, Oh, that's great. And then they, we got the press out there and, and they, they had a nice outpouring of people donating. Okay. And, uh, so we got all the dogs loaded and they had to get them loaded and it's quite fast because there was a storm coming. And so, um, they're loaded. I'm on, I get on the, in the jump seat and I, I'm smelling <laughs> this smell. And I go, Whoa. And so one of the doggies had Giardia and I was writing, he's basically writing back of me. Oh. So, oh my goodness. So the, we took off and it was a 10 hour, 10 hour flight total. Because oh, like, the plane only would go 200 miles an hour. Oh, wow. So, so it was a prop, it was a prop plane, not a jet, a prop plane. And uh, so we, we made a landing somewhere in Utah and that was, uh, I got some stuff from my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> And, and then uh, I just held my nose the rest of the way because I got to tell you, that was, I said, how do you guys do that? The pilots, they, they go, they go, sometimes we have to wear oxygen masks. Oh. Um, so, but we got there, it was all worth it. All the doggies came up, they're all wagging their tails and we washed them all um, and they got food. And then there was a big, like a, almost like a football field that they could play in. Oh, so they're wow. all out there playing. And, and I uh, checked back in a couple of weeks and, and most of the doggies had, had gotten homes and I saw some of the new parents and they were great. They're, you know, they're like, they love these dogs. It wasn't like somebody just taking them to going to put them out in, in the back or something. Right, yeah. they, you know, it was, a, it's a great organization and they have many challenges because, um, you know, anytime you try to do something good, there's all those people that try to knock it down. Yeah, so, of course. So. My dogs are rescue. So I admit, you know, seeing that, that you were involved in that. It really kind of, it was, it was special to me. So I wanted to find out a little bit more about that. Well, that's great. No, I, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I haven't, I, I should have done that on some of these other ones too, because I, it's really, it's an important thing to me too. So that's excellent. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of other missions that I'm involved with too, but um, I don't want to, I don't want to bring the, the vibe down too much. So we'll, we'll say, we'll, we'll save those for next time. Yeah. We can do a part two. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> so is there a, an expected release date for the new album, which I, if I'm not mistaken, it's called 2021. 
You got it. All right. That's what you're wearing too. And, uh, yeah, um, we're we're gonna get it out by the end of summer because we need to get it done before our tour starts. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so that puts the pressure on, which we need. We needed the pressure put on. Now, is the uh, songwriting on this collaborative, or are you, are you writing the songs uh, and everybody else is having to learn them? Or I'm pretty much writing the songs, but they put their own identity in their parts in and okay. it makes it so much more special because I, right. I mean, I can play all the instruments, but I don't do it like they do. Right. So, yeah. so it's, uh, you know, it's really makes a big difference. And I, um, I believe we're going to do one of Duffy's songs too. It's called, um, loopy loop, which is, uh, uh you know, using the looper and, and, oh, um, cool. and making that into a kind of cool thing. So, so we should, yeah. And I consider them, you know, they're, they're so very involved in it and the way it works out is I send it out in one way and it sounds good, but when I get it back, it's a whole new magic to it. That's fantastic. So oh. That's the, that's the, the best part of a, a band, you know, yeah. even with um, big bands, you know, that, you know, earth, wind and fire or, or the moody blues when Justin or John would write a song, a lot of times it would be pretty much they'd have the idea of what it would be. And then they would tell the other guys to do it. So it's just a, this way, since we're doing things long distance, I, I, you know, record the parts and then they know generally where we're going to go. Yeah. And, and it goes from there. And it, with the, with the way, the complexity of these songs, you almost have to do that because it's, it's kind of like a, it's almost like, uh, you know, like a classical piece. You know, if one one thing doesn't fit right, it's going to throw everything else off. That's a really good point. Yeah, I guess it is kind of hard to just jam on some pretty complex yeah. prog rock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, the solos, Duffy, you know, does the solos, just whatever he goes off and does that. And, and the bass part, you know, uh, bass parts, right? And um, Billy is a fan, you know, unbelievable drummer. I mean, it, he's just technically so... F proficient and uh he spends a lot of time working his his parts out to him it's a composition he's like he's such a you know and he was with uh sync for all those years that oh, they were huge i didn't realize that yeah and then he then he went to play with pat banatar oh wow um, and so it's you know these guys are they've, they've been and played all kinds of different kind of music so they're they can do anything they want Good. to but you know <laughs> They're good. <laughs> Decided to do this stuff, yeah. That is awesome. Well, where can people find the album when it comes out? How can they follow you and get news and, and keep track of when the release dates and tour dates? Cool. Um, yeah, everything is good is on Alan Hewitt and One Nation .com. Um, you have to spend spell out the and so it's A L A N H E W I T T and One Nation. Dot com and everything will be on there there's the videos on there and the, the some of the music that we put out just for people to hear and tour dates and reviews and all that kind of stuff excellent and that have links to the social media sites too yeah uh, the facebook there's a, a link to go to the facebook as well oh, cool so so go there and follow us too we need that excellent man. thank you so much this has been so much fun i've, I've really yeah mark it's great thanks for having me i appreciate it
At Progressive, we know there's nothing like the feeling of riding a motorcycle with your crew on the open road. It's a primal, wild freedom, a feeling that would be impossible to recreate on the radio. Until now. Hit it, sound effects guy. Hmm, no. You know, we really lost a stride at the end there. Get 24-7 roadside assistance with Progressive, America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Roadside assistance subject to policy terms and limits and may require comprehensive coverage. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? Not just bikes. We also make a rower. Have you ever tried to row? Too hard. Not with Form Assist. It actually teaches you how to row. So it doesn't matter if you're a first-time rower or a seasoned pro. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Row risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial.